Welcome to In the Isles, the movie and TV podcast that... You haven't got one, have you? No, no, I've not. I've not. Right, skip past it. This week, we'll talk about what we've been watching. We'll cover some real, real news. And our main review is Nobody. James, how how are you? How are you? Since you've mentioned McDonald's on the podcast, we've been to McDonald's two, maybe four times. <laughs> So I blame you for that. Through drive-through, of course. Wasn't happy with the is that all? Is that all? Could have been more polite with the with the communication on the on the speaker. And got home, no straws for my milkshake. What an absolute joke. That is a sin. That is awful, isn't it? Is that the next step from no plastic straws? No straws at all. That is basic. That's basic straws. I had to have my milkshake with a spoon. And then transition to just drinking it once it had melted enough. Oh, tragic. That is unforgivable because there's there's surely never really a meal that is without a straw. So it's a given that you put a straw in every bag, you'll never go wrong. Can't believe it. Gone down the pan. How are you? I'm all right. I've just returned from my, my first family holiday. Not not in 35 years, I just mean since we've had my son, because the nation's been in lockdown, nay, the world. So that was good. But I topped it all off. I've no anecdotes from my holiday where it all went quite swimmingly. However, we went and visited my mother-in-law yesterday, and she's she's had a rough time as of late. And I thought, do you know what I could do to cheer her up? Nuke her car keys in the microwave. So that's what I did. Nuke. Nuke. N-U-K-E. Yes. So uh, she's got a keyless car fob, right? So to protect the car, she puts them in the microwave. Now, I went to put a meal on for my son in the microwave, but it needed to be on for a minute and 40 seconds. Now, I don't know how to use a microwave apart from the 30 second plus button. So I thought, well, I'll put 30 seconds on, let it time down to 10 seconds. And then (laughs) there was this God awful smell. And then I remembered because I knew that she put her keys in the microwave. And then I just heard from the other room, you've took the keys out of the microwave, haven't you? To which I said, yeah. Um, And yeah, turns out I've completely nuked both the primary and secondary key fobs and the car is unusable. That is a disaster, isn't it? So (laughs) the the reason for putting the keys in the microwave is that to protect criminals from cloning the signal? Yes. Okay. So it makes sense, but I was left in a, is it really my fault? Is it really? It is. It definitely is because I knew that she did this. I should have checked, but I I did feel awful. She really didn't need that on top of everything else. That I would, that's really bad. That is really bad. There's no sugar coat in it. No. So pretty piss poor end of the week, to be honest. So let's let's forget about it, shall we? And discuss yeah. films and TV and such. You kick us off, James. I've been watching the first ever Britbox original series, The Beast Must Die. Oh, this is a it's on Channel 4, isn't it? As well. Is it? Yeah. Well, why have I got the Britbox free trial then? That was a waste of time. No idea. Could have watched it on 4OD. Anyway. It's not a remake of the Peter Cushing classic where he kills a wolf. It is a crime drama of sorts. 
Christian Ball, Billy Howell and Jared Harris star. Christian Ball's son is killed by a car on the Isle of Wight. And for our non-UK listeners, that's W-I-G-H-T. It's not an ethno-state. She wants to find the killer and kill him. Episode one is some detective work with Cus Jumbo having to work to infiltrate the family via the daughter, which went on a bit. But then once she gets into the family, which is like Jared Harris's family, he's the main suspect, then it, it gets good. Jared Harris, who you might recall as my most underrated actor in all of human history. He's a horrible, horrible man. He's awful. And Cus Jumbo trying to find evidence against him while befriending the family is good to watch. Also, Billy Howell, who you might remember from The Serpent. He's a detective, newly arrived in the Isle of Wight, who decides, yeah, okay, I'll investigate as well, because maybe the original investigation was incompetent. Performances are strong. The writing is intriguing, intense. It looks good. Good pacing. Characters take action. Information is revealed. The situations change. Netflix, sweet tooth, take note. Watch it. I recommend it. The Beast Must Die on Channel 4 slash Britbox. Okay. Not a remake of the Peter Cushing classic, but a remake of a Scandi crime thriller, I believe. And I've been told the original's better. But you've convinced me, because I've heard quite a few sniffy reviews on this, and I wanted to just say, I'm not listening to you. I'm going to give it a go. And now you have convinced me to do so. Leslie, okay. is it, what, what's the woman in this, Leslie? Ash. That's it. She looks ill. She's not she? in it. She's not in it. What? Well, why did you know who I mean then? Just because that's the only Leslie I could think of. Oh. Right. Let's skip forward again. What else have you been watching? Clarkson's Farm on Amazon Prime. Oh, okay. And? I was motivated to watch this because of a one-star review in The Guardian that is very obviously written by someone who hates Jeremy Clarkson. But I'm not full of hatred like The Guardian. I was optimistic for this latest series that Clarkson is obliged to make under his production deal with Amazon. I ruddy bloody loved it. I've watched all eight episodes. It's an unexpected gem and a hit, honestly. Clarkson owns a farm and he decides to manage it himself. He buys a tractor that's too big. He gets some sheep that he can't control. He navigates all the government red tape and form filling in and regulations in a very Jeremy Clarkson way. He talks about why does the government want to know this? Why do I have to measure this to four decimal places? That's all very entertaining if you like the Clarkson brand. But it's an ensemble as well. There's this guy called Caleb who's a 21-year-old farmhand who doesn't hold back on calling Clarkson an idiot. And he's a lovable chap and their dynamic is good. Gerald is this 78-year-old handyman who builds the walls and fences and stuff. And he has a rambling, incomprehensible way of speaking that is really funny to listen to. You have to see it to understand it. Go on, do it, do it, Ray. I was in the, and it's too, too tall. And every year it's, it's, it's all about, and he's just going to a party. They do, I think they do play with it in the editing a little bit, but it's funny. It is pure entertainment and it's educational because there are a lot of scenes 
of explanations of combine harvesters and this is why we shear the sheep and if you have any interest at all in that you can watch it it also features jeremy clarkson's girlfriend actress lisa hogan she's labeled as actress lisa hogan in a few articles looked her up on imdb one credit for fierce creatures as sea lion keeper uh, not hulk hogan's ex-wife then no Right, different Hogan. There can be more than one. Yep. That's what I've been watching. Okay. Um, can I just ask on the Clarkson's farm? Is it do you get the impression that he's just done this for a period of two weeks just to make a program? Or it, does it feel like something he's going to continue in his life? Is he committed to this? The series covers the whole year. All oh, right, okay. So it goes from planting the crops whenever that is through lockdown actually in in spring 2020 and then the harvest in you know whenever that is so at the end of episode seven there's a montage of all the different months going by so he was doing it it was actually happening he has a lot of support and how much he's directly involved in isn't very clear because there's a lot of focus on certain fields but when you see the map of the whole land it seems like there's more land there than what's actually discussed in the series but it's it's genuinely happened like you see him look at the accounts and how much money has been made in the year and there is a real farm shop that really exists that sells the real stuff that he grows interesting i may well give it a go daniel what have you been watching the first one on my list when i was watching mare of Easttown a few weeks back i did my regular IMDb stalking of the entire cast. And one of the victims was Julianne Nicholson, who plays Kate Winslet's friend. And I thought, I've seen her in something before. I didn't find out what that was. But I did find in the credits a TV series she was in called Eyewitness, which is a 2016 crime thriller, which held very respectable ratings. So I thought, right, I'm in. Don't really need to sell me on it. There is crime. I'll watch it. Turns out I can't. It's not available anywhere. I can, however, prayers be to Netflix, watch the original Norwegian series from 2014 because it's available. So I did, and I knew it was going to be good because they remade this program two years after its release. So that's that's got to count for something, right? They were hot on this. And it is good, very good, in fact. It's about two teenage boys who, after a day of outdoor shenanigans, they break into this cabin of that one of the fathers owns and they have a sneaky beer and one thing leads to another and both of these lads end up getting off with one another. But hold the phone, that's not the shocking bit. Well, it shouldn't be shocking, to be honest, depictions of homosexuality. What about it? No, the shocking thing is that they're interrupted with when a bunch of cars arrive on site and then a bloodbath unfolds in front of them. Being the witnesses to this shocking crime, they swear they're never going to tell anybody about what they've seen because they fear they're going to be exposed. Now, I can't fault the entire series apart from this thing that kicks the whole drama off because no one's seen them getting off with one another. There's no cameras in this cabin and they decide they have to stay silent to protect this secret relationship. They could have just said they were in the cabin and they saw it. They didn't need to say, and we were kissing each other. Just leave that bit out. It doesn't make any sense. 
but the rest of it does. And there's a lot going on here. You've got two competing police forces working against each other. You've got biker gangs, drug deals, mob bosses, paedophilia, explosions, everything. And the pleasure of it is uncovering it as you go, so I don't want to say too much more. Plus, it's foreign, and it doesn't have a dubbed audio track. So what's the point in me wasting everyone's time talking about it when nobody's going to watch it? But I implore you, prove me wrong, do watch it. Scandy crime drama, yet again, second mention this show. It's at its best. This is a fine example of it. Very, very good. And the original's called Eyewitness as well. Yes. What else have you been watching? Strange But True. No, not the BBC show starring Michael Aspel from the late 90s. Do you remember that? <laughs> no, Michael Aspel of This Is Your Life, Finn. Yeah. Okay, no. Oh, I, I used to wait for Saturday nights just for that programme. It was like a paranormal docu-series. It was quite entertaining. Slight tangent, actually, that I'll probably cut out. Do you remember the documentary, the spoof documentary about Michael Aspel fathering every single one of the Spice Girls? No. <laughs> I can't find it anywhere. I just remember it because I actually fell for it and thought it was true. Um, I think it's called Sex, Lies of Michael Aspel. It's weird. Anyway, <laughs> this film, Stranger But True, um, it's in the Netflix top 10 again. So it's, it's on most people's watch list. Puzzling to me, though, is the fact that it's about two years old and I've never heard of it, despite it having a cast of Amy Ryan, Greg Kinnear, Blythe Danner, a.k.a. Gwyneth Paltrow's mom, and original Hannibal Lecter and National Treasure, Brian Cox. More puzzling than that, though, is the poster out on Netflix because it looks like someone took a picture of the cast, an amateur one, and slapped some Microsoft Word art on top of it. It looks so cheap. But it's not, really. Um, anyway, it's about a woman played by Amy Ryan. She's lost her son to a tragic accident five years prior. Her dead son's girlfriend turns up on a doorstep five years later after his death and claims that she's nine months pregnant with his baby. Say what? As you would imagine, she tells her to do one. She thinks she's absolutely crazy. Then she goes down this rabbit hole of finding out what is the truth behind this pregnancy? How could it be? Can it be? It's... It's all right. It's all right. It's apparently based on a, an acclaimed book. I haven't read it. That must be our most popular catchphrase over these last 56 episodes. Me and James don't read. James does, actually. That's, that's not true. I don't think this did very well, critically, and I, I can see why. It's not the most inspired film in the world. But the mystery of who's the baby's daddy and what's going on was reasonably intriguing. The plot twist was quite good, but then it just goes on for a bit too long. It was okay. Just okay. I didn't hate it, but I didn't love it either. If if you love nothing more than a distinctly average thriller, then take this box and watch it, yeah. Okay. And that stars Nick Robinson, the BBC's former lead political correspondent. Wait, no, sorry, that's, that's different Nick Robinson. Yeah, there can be more than one. There's two Hogans and two Nick Robinsons. Have you got anything else? I watched Live on the Farm whilst on holiday with Helen Skelton. 
That was quite fun, actually. I enjoyed that. Maybe farming is where reality TV should be at at the moment. It's obviously drawing quite a lot of entertainment out of it. So, yeah. The, wasn't there a Paris Hilton one called The Simple Life? Was that her on a farm? Yeah. I never watched it, but judging from the poster alone, I think you're, I think you're right on that one. Well, Clarkson's farm isn't like The Simple Life. He's actually, I and the owner, I'm responsible. I'm going to get into it. It's not him saying, oh, don't, I don't do this kind of thing. This is too dirty. Why can't I drive my sports car across this field? which he actually does in the end. Of course he does. Of course he does. Well, that covers what we've been watching. It's been an age since we talked, James. The listeners don't know that because these episodes appear weekly, but it really has. So surely there's a lot been going on in the film world that we can talk about. I hope so. It's the real thing. It is now. Real, real news, news. James, what's been happening? I've got two superhero things for you from comingsoon.net. Number one, David Harbour of Stranger Things fame, who plays Red Guardian in the new Black Widow film, he has said that he would love to see a Red Guardian film. So this is from comingsoon.net. Speaking at a press conference for the upcoming film, Harbour spoke about his character and how he'd love to see more of his origins explored. Quoting David Harbour, What's funny about Alexei, E, you have this 25-year gap we don't know about in the movie. We see him in Ohio and in the prison, and even before the prison, there was a time when he was the Red Guardian. He must have put the suit back on. There is this period of time where he has all these stories about his life. It's questionable whether or not they're real. And he goes on to talk about the connection between Red Guardian and Captain America. Now, of course, David Harbour would say that he'd like to see a Red Guardian film. Of course, he would say that because it's another paycheck for him, isn't it? That's a cynical view, James. But yeah, he's not. Yeah, he's not going to say, no, I don't want to. I'm not interested in ever acting in a DC film ever ever again. Leave me out of it. It's 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 a non it's a non story that I'm commenting on, but I'm commenting on it to say that's obviously what he would say. And it also speaks to a problem that we've got where we seem to think that every moment of a fictional character's life has to be explored mm. in stories. At least it's more credible though than an extra popping up and saying, I'd love to see a woman in the background holding a cup of coffee film. I think it'd be great. <laughs> At least yeah. there's a bit more substance to it. Yeah. What led her to pick up that that coffee? <laughs> the origin tale. Yeah. Emma Thompson threw a cup of tea in her mother's face. So she never drinks tea. She always drinks coffee. Why are we doing a podcast when we should be making films? We're wasted. We are wasted. Seriously, though, after this, do you want to jot down some, some ideas? Yeah. 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 Cool. Let's thought share it. Secondly, also from comingsoon.net, and you can see how this story quickly deteriorates in, into nothing as it goes on. Headline, James Gunn has spoken to Marvel and DC about a crossover film. Oh, my God. Oh, I heard about this. 
That's Briefly. huge. That is huge. First paragraph, director James Gunn is no stranger to working in the world of comic books, having directed for both sides. And according to the director, he's had discussions with the studios about potential cross-brand crossover. Oh my God, this is massive. And then it starts to deteriorate. Speaking on social media, Gunn replied to a fan's tweet about the chances of ever seeing a crossover between the MCU and DCU. Gunn said he's had casual talks with the powers that be. So this is the tweet. I've casually talked to the powers that be at Marvel and DC about it. I'd love for it to happen. I don't think it's likely, but I don't think it's impossible either. So he's basically held up the Avengers v X-Men comic book to Bob Iger and said, you know, this exists. And Bob Iger's gone. Yep. That's the, that's the talk. This is real. Sorry. Bro. Sorry, it's not Avengers v X-Men, it's Avengers versus Justice League. No, may, may as well clarify. Yeah, so it's it's real non-news this week. Yeah. Basically. Okay. <laughs> it's 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 me saying clickbait. I've clicked on the clickbait to complain about the clickbait, but there's another point in here where he says, that said, constantly talking about crossovers and mashups is less enchanting to me than a strong story. I find it disconcerting at times that many folks seem more interested in crossovers, cameos, references, and post-credit scenes than they do the actual story and characters of a specific film, exclamation mark. When making a film, I spend 99.9% of my time thinking about the story and characters. That's what I've been talking about. That's what I've been talking about recently, where the WandaVision discussion about is it going to be Doctor Strange the Falcon Winter Soldier discussion about are they going to introduce the X-Men here it all takes away from the actual story so James Gunn my fellow first name sharer he's saying what I've been saying so there's a, there is a risk in talking about all the cameos and stuff because it does take away from things let that be a lesson to the listening audience do not ignore James he's got his finger on the pulse He's almost the oracle of film news. Thank I you. Truly believe that. What real news have you got? Sorry. Just before we do, just on clickbait, and I'll probably cut this out too. Have you seen all the, like, Michelle Ryan is heartbreaking at 39? And yes. I, I want to see what she looks like. So I click it, go through about 60 images. She's not even on the list. What's that about? I want to see yeah. what she looks like at 39. Yeah, I only thought I only fell for it once. We click on it and it's like zerg.net or something. And then you yeah. get a grid of articles there. Then you click on the article. Then you get the real one. And it's a slideshow and you have to click through each image. Yeah. To get the the page reload with more ads on it. It's just waste of everyone's time. I did it with the uh, guess which actors are gay that you never knew about. Turned out I didn't I didn't know they were gay, but I didn't know they were actors either because I'd never heard of 50% of them. Anyway, um I actually know I clicked on something the other day and I had to resolve a capture. It made me do a sum, James. I've never been asked to do a sum for a capture. It almost broke my mind. It was like 73 take 11. It really did hurt. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, never mind. Sorry. What news have you got? Right, Orphan, the 2009 horror film with Vera Farmiga. Do you remember it? Yes, not seen it, but I remember it. Yeah, I really enjoyed that film. I thought it was quite a well 
delivered cinema experience because I did watch it in the cinema. Anyway, 11 years after the first film, they're making a prequel. Now, I'm going to spoil Orphan, all right? So if you don't want a spoiler for an 11-year-old film, skip forward a minute. It's about an orphan who's living with a new foster family. This is from memory, by the way, so I might get bits wrong. The big twist at the end is this 11-year-old girl that they've took in who's causing a lot of mayhem and being murderous. Turns out she's not a little girl at all. She's actually like a full-grown woman with a genetic disorder, which means she doesn't grow, right? That's the twist. So she's a fully-fledged adult committing these crimes. Prequel, same actress is back. Do you understand where my... Yeah, yeah, I can see a problem here. Yeah, now I've done no more reading on this at all. So they might be doing this with CGI and stuff like that, but I'm very curious how they're going to pull this off. Very, very curious. Unless they go down the route of some Benjamin Button type thing. I don't know. But anyway, I'm excited. Let's see what they have to offer us. But yeah, a bit worried, a bit worried. Well, James, we've discussed a lot of somebodies. Shall we discuss nobody? They're getting worse and worse, <laughs> aren't they? I aim to make them worse and worse every week. Succeeded? Yep. Hello, I'd like to order an opinion, please. This film is new, fresh point of view. Hold me sit back, this is a fact. We in the aisles, here are some aisles. Thoughts in sync, tell you what to think. I'll listen to you. This week's main review is Nobody. Hey, I have an idea. How about I make that lasagna that you love tonight? You know, from scratch, like I used to. I used to work for some very dangerous people. <laughs> they came after my family. They stole my kitty cat bracelet. And you don't do that. Give me the kitty cat bracelet! Two robbers mistakenly mess with the wrong guy, who in turn seeks out revenge only to end up messing with a guy who is related to the wrong guy. He then seeks vengeance upon the original guy only to find out that he has indeed fucked with the wrong guy. That makes sense? It's completely clear. Good, good. Let's see if IMDb can do any better. Hutch Mansell fails to defend himself or his family when two thieves break into his suburban home one night. The aftermath of the incident soon strikes a match to his long-simmering rage. In a barrage of fists, gunfire and squealing tyres, Hutch must now save his wife and son from a dangerous adversary and ensure that he will never be underestimated again. That is remarkably descriptive. I didn't see a synopsis that in-depth for this sort of film, but there you go. James, what did you think of Nobody? This is produced by the director of John Wick. And you can feel that in some scenes, and it's definitely a good thing. It's a completely original story, as far as I understand. So should be set for an easy win here. Before I go on, is it a spoiler to talk about Hutch Mansell's professional background? I it think it is. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. So the plot is... 
that Hutch is emasculated in his own home by these robbers and he unleashes his male violence on a bus and then it escalates. There isn't much more plot after that. It's lots of violence and I absolutely loved it. Proper bloody violence with people's bones being broken and even some disturbing scenes like the crazy Russian who breaks a wine glass and then scratches up someone's face on it. It's definitely some adult violence. Bob Odenkirk of Better Call Saul fame, out of nowhere, brilliant action star, gets all the physicality right, looks really good. He does the mild-mannered, past-his-prime, disrespected by his son character really well, then switches to bad-ass just as convincingly. I was not expecting that. Other characters are on screen, they're good, but it's all about Hutch Mansell and his extreme violence. It's funny as well, smashing someone's head on the stop button on the bus and the stop sign flashing. I've never seen a black Russian before. Yeah, I get that a lot. That was funny. Christopher you get Lloyd. That a lot. No, that's the dialogue. Oh. <laughs> Christopher Lloyd producing a shotgun from under his blanket. There's some funny bits as well. It's not a relentlessly bleak, violent film. Jumping into extremely deep and intelligent analysis. Last week, we had The Killing of Two Lovers, which was about unfulfilled violence. David, the main character, was humiliated by his wife and his first reaction was well i'll just kill the people that wronged me with a gun but that wasn't a real option for him and he didn't know what else to do nobody is that fantasy realized there's some dickheads on a bus i'll just take them all down with precision strikes and chalk holds this is what we want to see just let us have this don't take this kind of film away from us it's fun to watch the whole thing was unexpectedly enjoyable for me. I was worried it wouldn't live up to the hype. It's got a 94% audience rating on Rotten Tomatoes, and it got there for me. Daniel, what did you think of Nobody? I had no idea what to expect in terms of the plot, but I did expect it to be good because it was released earlier on in the year in America and it held the number one spot. I think for quite a number of weeks at the box office and it had good reviews. So that had me hyped already. You mentioned Bob Odenkirk. I'm not a Breaking Bad or Better Call Saul fan. So I didn't have that baggage or knowledge of him coming into it. All I knew was that I was down for a good action flick. The opening three or four minutes, you get this really slickly edited montage of Hutch going about his daily life, inclusive of all the monotony that makes up a regular day. Waking up, making coffee, forgetting to put out of the bin. I know it well. Travelling to work, grinding through work, then coming on. Rinse and repeat, shows you the same day unfolding again and again and again. And just from that editing in those opening moments, I knew that we were in for something a bit different stylistically. And different it was, but also comfortingly familiar, I would say, because it's not a fresh or original idea at all. It's basically a man gets wronged, fights back, finds himself caught in the crosshairs of an evil mob boss. But for all that unoriginality, I do think this was very well executed. It's a very fast-paced film. 
for me, I didn't feel as though they wasted a second. It zips along nicely at a brisk 90 minutes. The action is well choreographed, and there's obviously some imagination and thought been put into it. And what I did like about this film, you mentioned the humour. It was its heart on its sleeve, so to speak, this. I, th I think it's not trying to be a straight-up action film that's bogged down by its own self-seriousness. Talking about Taken. It recognises the absurdity of what's going on and it and it plays with that by injecting that humor into it because it's obviously purposeful that bob odenkirk he's not the most intimidating presence in the world but it skews that and it uses it to its advantage he's brilliant i agree um really relatable regular civilian and then happenstance badass he plays that to perfection i really liked the villain in this, Julian. He's almost cartoonish in his performance. It's like over-the-top villainy, but it does gel with the tone of the film. Even at one point when he smacks the living shit out of somebody with a, with a chair that he's just grabbed from out of the hospital waiting room. I thought it was really funny. The best compliment I can give to this film is that my partner actually watched it. That's unheard of. She never watches films. And I'll quote her now. I said, did you enjoy it? And she said, very descriptively, yes. So <laughs> I'll come on to some other observations she had because she almost made me like question how much I enjoyed the film. But she did like it. In all seriousness, a, a joyous onslaught of blood and bullets. I had a properly good time with this. And I pick up on that point about the editing. I really like that as well, the opening montage of monotony of his life. That was really well done. That was when you knew you were in for a film that was making the effort. Mm. Mm. Interesting music choices as well. I feel like it underpins a lot of the action with music tracks and, and odd ones, but it worked for me. Did you like that? Yes, I like that as well. I like that as well. But there was one where... In another film, it'd be a longer action scene, but does he do like a big a big infiltration that's done as a montage with classical music mm. over it? Yeah. You mentioned John Wick before. Have you heard about this rumor that there's going to be a crossover of characters with John Wick? This. Yes. Is this that they've said it would be nice to have Easter eggs that cross over, but it can't actually cross over because it's different studios. Like one's Universal and one's. Warner Brothers off or something. Do you mean yes, that? I, I did mean exactly that, yes. So that, that'll be interesting to see how it plays out, although I need to bring myself up to speed with John Wick. Anyway, that's not what we're here to talk about. Any more general thoughts? No, I'm happy to go into spoilers after the big question. James, do you recommend nobody? Yes. Daniel, do you recommend nobody? Of course I do. Stupid question. Bruce Willis. Real name is Tyler Durden. Sank at the end. Oh, thanks a lot. Doop -a -doop -a -doop spoiler. Biggest spoiler of the film. Just going to put it out there. Christopher Lloyd is still alive. Yeah. The guy yeah. who was the villain in Roger Rabbit has been cryogenically frozen for 40 years. They've defrosted him just to appear in this. Yeah, Christopher, no Christopher <laughs> Lloyd, of course, best known for his role as the villain in Roger Rabbit. That's what he's best known for. <laughs> good point. Sorry. Yeah, good point. <laughs> <sighs> I he... did think is I thought is that him? It looks like him, but it it 
it can't it can't be him, but then it is. It's it's impressive. I don't know how they've done this. Maybe it was just complete CGI. I don't know, but yeah, weird. He's he was old in Roger Rabbit, though, right? And Back to the Future. Yeah, defies all reason and logic. I don't I don't get it. You must be like three hundred. Told yeah. you I wasn't good at maths. He could play Indiana Jones in Indiana Jones Six, couldn't he? <laughs> I don't know what that means. Anyway, the big spoiler of the film, the other one, is that. Bob Odenkirk's character, Hutch Mansell, he's actually an ex-assassin. He's a super-secret assassin, and he's hiding it from his own family, it seems. Even his wife doesn't know. Oh, right, okay. I I wasn't sure on that. And when when push comes to shove, his son definitely doesn't know. When push comes to shove, he's like, right, I can't take this monotony and this embarrassing life anymore. I'm going to start beating people up. And that provokes the Russian mob and Hutch Mansell's actions get the attention of the person who is the caretaker of the Russian mob's cash money. And it ends up with Hutch Mansell saying, right, the only way to solve this is to burn all the money and kill every Russian person that comes at him, including eventually the main bad guy. What's his name again? Julian. Julian, and then that secures the future. Yeah, do you know when he has that confrontation with him at the table in the club, which I thought was very well done, by the way. I loved yeah, the tension at that table as he held that bomb by a, a finger. I think I didn't describe that well, but if you've seen it, you know exactly what I'm saying. Why piss him off more by burning all of his cash and all of his artwork and possessions, and then say, we could just leave it here. Don't do that. Then have that conversation. And he might be a bit more willing to go along with you. That didn't make sense. But I I did like the journey doing that. So I suppose, you know, I can't be too annoyed. Yeah, I wasn't clear on that either. I've escalated everything. Now let's de-escalate. After my massive escalation, it didn't really make any sense. But yeah, it was was fun. On the trick that is played or at least i felt it was a bit of a trick when did you get a whiff of the being more to him than meets the eye did you see this coming that he was this trained assassin or was it a, a bit of a surprise i can't remember when i got a whiff of it it wasn't the bus scene because when he busts out this amazing combat i just thought okay this is now a pure fantasy mm. not that it's in his head but it's just going to be amazing at combat and it's never going to be explained. And then I think it was only when he speaks to the guy, his friend over the radio the second time where yes. they openly say what his background is. I think it was then. That that was the same for me. But what I really, really liked about that was during that first bus scene, he, he does get the living shit kicked out of him. He, he has a rough ride. All right, he's a bit successful, by the end of it in terms of knocking everyone out and whatnot um but i thought right i'm with him now this is this is an everyman who fancies himself as a bit of a vigilante and you can tell because he's he's getting a few cuts and bruises because he's not that experienced then he speaks to this guy on the radio in fact i think it's before then but i thought oh he's going a bit mental this isn't actually real he's imagining this and i thought we were seeing this downward spiral of him just descending into madness. And then it's like, oh no, 
No, he is actually an assassin. I I was almost as a an audience member convinced to underestimate him, just like everyone else is around him. I thought that was quite neat how they did that. If I explained that well, you have explained it well. I was the same. I also thought it was done really well because at first I thought it was going to be like falling down. You know, starring Michael Douglas, directed by Joel Schumacher. Yeah, pretty sure. Yeah, I thought it was going to be falling down too, basically. Mm but just more violence. But it's not. It's like falling down to that then becomes John Wick about halfway through, which was awesome. Yeah. And I, I liked his motivation as well because I was ready to pounce on this film and say, oh, I didn't like the fact that he basically set out to be a murderous badass just for himself and not his family. But the thing that actually makes him snap is this kitty cat bracelet that he believes has been nicked and it's like no no you don't mess with my daughter and I thought oh, no that's good now he's got a reason to go this medieval on the races yeah and then there was more comedy where he found the bracelet under the sofa <laughs> as as he was interrogating the guys that were all tied up and bloodied he found the ne- necklace underneath the sofa yeah really funny as well one thing that I don't know how I feel about is with the violence, we've both mentioned it. It's, it's very brutal. But it did feel as though, purposeful or not, the violence is the catalyst for reigniting the passion in his relationship. And I thought, mm, is that a good message to be sending out? Women are drawn to violent men. I don't, I don't know. I don't know whether there was much to read into that, but I didn't feel quite right about it. Yeah, it's quite problematic and it fit, it fits in with the whole idea of he doesn't feel like a man anymore in the opening with the montage and he's like okay well now that i feel like a man because i've killed people i will now copulate did you notice there was some sort of barrier in bed between him and connie nielsen yes because my partner said god can you imagine i'm in a pillow wall and i said yes i can and it was very frosty for at least two minutes. I didn't mean it, but yeah, I did notice that. Yeah. So yeah, problematic messaging there, but I think it just fits with the overall theme of I'm a man now, so let's do it. (laughs) Yeah. And I I did like from a redemption point of view, it's very satisfactory. Like he gets to metaphorically stick a finger up to everyone who misjudged him at the start of the film. So you've got the brother-in-law, He's like, you're not really a man shoving a gun in his face. He delivers a gut punch and wins him. Loved that bit. His father-in-law's like, you're never going to buy this business. I want it at a good price. He just drops a shit ton of gold on his desk at the end. And it's like, what? Say what? Um, And then his neighbour, who's a bit of a prick and implies that he would have done something different with the burglars. He gets his own back by stealing his car. I just, I loved all that. I thought you've you've literally done an FU to everyone. Good on you. Yeah, that was good. Set up and pay off all over the place. Yeah. Very good. I would have liked to see the neighbour see him steal the car, but it was still good. The end action wasn't perfect. It was good. It was just nice violence. However, the good guys, which is Hutch Mansell, Christopher Lloyd, most famous for his role in Who Framed Roger Rabbit and <laughs> the brother, I think. There's a point where they're just stood in a circle out in the open just shooting at people and they're out in the open, not in cover, just waiting to get shot. That was the only flaw in the whole action. It just didn't make sense to behave like that. And then one of them was shot 
and it was brushed off pretty much straight away. I completely agree. And that was actually when I said my partner had some observations, this was this scene in particular, because she said, and I just didn't want to entertain it. She was like, so he's conveniently set up all these Home Alone style traps. He's gone proper Kevin McAllister. And is he called Kevin McAllister? I think I've just plucked that out there. Sure, yeah. yeah. Yeah, whatever. I'm on about Macaulay Culkin anyway. He's gone Macaulay Culkin. How do his, his friend and his dad know where the traps are, know how to activate them, know how to step over them without setting them off? Bit convenient. And I thought, oh, come on. Like it's, it's tongue-in-cheek all the way through. Forgive it that, but she is she is right. It, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. Yeah, and isn't Hutch Mansell actually surprised to see Christopher Lloyd at the warehouse when he arrives? Yeah, so nothing's been pre-communicated there. And I've got to be honest, that was a bit too, of a step too far, him with the shotgun. I could have done without that. He looked a bit ridiculous to me. Yeah, because in the earlier scene in the care home, Christopher Lloyd is sat asleep and he produces a shotgun from underneath the blanket and shoots these two guys without moving. And I thought the idea is, like, I'm not very mobile anymore, but I will still outsmart you and kill you. Mm. That was cool. But then by the end, it's, oh, no, I'm I'm just as, like, mobile as anyone else wasn't really, you know, you can, you can tell that you probably can't pull off the movement that would be necessary for that sort of combat situation. Yeah. You've made me remember another issue now, but don't want to beat around the bush. This is a great film. It's a great film. Go and watch it. But when he shoots the guys in his nursing home with a shotgun, which draws the attention of the person on reception who rushes into his room, and his view is obscured because Christopher Lloyd sat in his chair. Can't see the carnage that has happened. You're not telling me there's not blood all up that wall straight in front of his face. <laughs> no, I'm just, just not having that. But yeah, yeah I'm getting, getting a bit too nitpicky now. Yeah, it's, it's definitely not. It's not perfect. It's not Lawrence of Arabia, but it's a, it's a lot of fun. A lot yeah. of fun. Did you stay for the after credit sequence? Is it where they buy the... Oh, where they, they're on the road trip. Yeah. With all the guns, yeah, yeah. If I hadn't heard about it, I wouldn't have bothered staying in the cinema. But I did and regretted it because it didn't really add anything. You don't need to. It's, it's not that great. No, it doesn't, doesn't add much. But I think we could explore more into Christopher Lloyd's character's past and do maybe do a spin-off trilogy about his uh, experience in the military. And obviously, Hutch Mansell is all this time when he was the auditor, the assassin. That's another trilogy of films that could be made. And this is all calling back to that Red Guardian story I was talking about. Yeah, and, you know, I'm sure we'll find a convenient way of shoving in the woman holding a coffee cup in the background. No reason why they can't all exist in the same universe. We fully have gone full circle today then, James. I think that's a nice uh, point to round off. Yep. Well, thank you very much for listening. Please continue to support this. What is it? It's a podcast, that's it. You can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Give us a five-star rating. 
follow us on Instagram at in the hours podcast or send us an email in the hours podcast at gmail.com. James, what is next? What is next? Fast and Furious 9, F9. Next week. F9. What does that do on a keyboard? I don't know. Well, I couldn't be looking forward to that less. <laughs> we 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 enjoyed Fast and Furious 7, I'm sure. Yeah, we did, we did actually, but I think I mentioned it the other week. It's not it's not apparently very good this, so it's dampened my spirits. Right, well, I guess we'll talk about it next week. Bye. Bye.